Check, test. All right. Got my Backstreet Boys mic on. Is it Backstreet Boys for life or Backstreet Boys all right? 90s pop people, does anybody know? For life? Okay. Liv and I were arguing about it. We can Backstreet Boys for life. All right. Uh, that was really humbling to have, to have Adam introduce me. Um, I can't recorded that yesterday, right? Recorded that yesterday? Check, 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 test. So, <clears throat> excuse me, so um, if I was a couple days out of surgery, I wouldn't do that. Uh, so, just really impressive, really impressive. And isn't it cool how well transplanter and transplantee are doing? I mean, we pray and we, yeah, isn't that awesome? You know, we pray and we, and we say in faith it's going to be awesome, uh, but isn't it really, really cool when it's exactly what we prayed for? Praise the Lord. Uh, yeah, and I, and I am excited to go up and visit with Adam. I'll be up there a few days next week and the week after, and I'll be pretty much working from his hotel room, and he'll be pretty much sleeping, as I understand it. Uh, although I'm bringing up a bunch of stupid movies that we used to like to watch, and I think he's already got a Nintendo. And so we'll just we'll kind of revert to how we grew up. Which is fine. It's not a bad gig. Uh, so uh, we're just really honored to be here. I hate to be here under these circumstances, but really blessed and really honored. I have my family with me, my lovely wife of 20 years, Olivia, and uh, our sons, Gabe and Luke and Asher, who are 16 and 14 and uh, 9. That's right, Asher's raising his arm. He's getting props. Uh, and so, yeah, we live up in Lewis Center in the Polaris area, and we go to Vineyard Church of Delaware County up there. And, we lead a worship team, and we lead a small group. And, uh, but, uh, but we kind of view family church as a little bit of a, a second church home. So we love them. We can come here and, and be with you guys. Well, thanks. All right. Hey, we're starting out easy. This is good. This is good. It's going to be a tough sermon, so let's eat it up while you, while you can. Uh, and when Adam asked me to preach around this time, my first idea was, if you really love Jesus, you give away part of your liver. That's what I was going to title it. Uh, then I thought, that's a little, that's a little harsh. Uh, but I had lots of topics. I had lots of topics I could choose from. Uh, we just had Valentine's Day, and so love, that's a shoe-in for pastors. At Valentine's Day, we had uh, President's Day. We have Democratic uh, debates. And I love talking about how Jesus is not a Democrat, and he's not a Republican. He's neither. Uh, we've got some big events going on in the world. We've got tensions in the Middle East. We've got the rising coronavirus threat the worldwide threat of that. So we've got some heavy topics we could have covered. Uh, in entertainment, we've got, uh, we had the Grammys. We had the Oscars. Uh, Kanye West now is a Christian, claims to profess Christ. That would have been fun to talk about. Uh, in sports, we had the, the baseball cheating scandal. Uh, we had what we thought were the unstoppable Buckeyes that ended up being stoppable. That was a little sad. This, whoever that was, please come up for prayer. I'm just kidding. Uh, my Chiefs won the Super Bowl. Yeah. And I just thought, how could I put that in a sermon? But looks like I just did. So good deal. Uh, so lots of, lots of topics. Lots of possible topics. And maybe some of those were top of mind. Maybe you've been thinking about some of those. Maybe none of them piqued your interest. But there's a lot we could have talked about. But as I prayed and thought about what the Lord would have us talk about today, what message he had for this congregation this morning, I felt like he put on my heart uh, that we need some reminders. Not reminders of current events and not you know, looking back on the last decade or 
now that it's 2020, the last 20 years, but reminders of what we believe as the church. Reminders of what we believe as the church. We need reminders of what we believe. We need reminders of why we're even here. And so I've titled this sermon, Reminding Ourselves of What We Really Believe as the Church. So let's just take a minute to pray and then we'll dig right in. So Lord, you have a word for this group of people this morning. And for some reason, you've chosen me to give it, Lord. So I just pray that you would keep me from saying anything hurtful or careless. Lord, I pray that you would speak through me. I pray that you would speak to each person here. Lord, work in me and through me, and if necessary, in spite of me. Holy Spirit, we just say, you're in charge. You're in charge. We just want to follow your lead. We want to do what you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so today we're going to talk about how we as a church need some reminders. We need to, we need to remind ourselves of what we believe. And when I say we or the church, what I mean is it's a big we. It's a big the church. What I mean is those of us who believe we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. So that's a, that's a big we, but that is us. We're the people of God. I mean the people of God who are redeemed. Not necessarily perfect, but redeemed through Jesus' death and resurrection. And we're going to cover three reminders, and it's a pretty big task because I'm going to try and knock out the entire plan for creation in three, three, three reminders. We're going to try and cover a lot of stuff. So we're not going to go that deep, but we are going to have a lot of Scriptures. And I'm, going to, I'm going to put them on the screen. We want to stay very close to the Scriptures on this stuff. We're going to stay very close to our Bibles, this is a, a, a big task, and we want to take it seriously. All right, and hopefully I'll speak authoritatively uh, because this really is the truth. So reminder number one, things are broken. Things are broken. So we're still easy, still starting out easy. This doesn't take rocket, uh, rocket scientists, doesn't take an advanced degree. Things are broken. In our world, we have hurt and pain and sadness and sickness and hunger and war if I've repeated any, but those are just the first few you can think to rattle off, but we've got a lot of them. And we see those things play out. We see them play out personally inside us. We see it play out relationally among one another. We see things play out on national scale, on a global scale. Something is off. And it's not just with us. Something is off everywhere with everything. We have genetic mutation. We have natural disasters. We have, uh, we have stronger animals Killing and eating the weaker ones. I'm sure many of us have seen The Lion King, where Mufasa, the, the father lion, tells Simba, uh, it kind of paints a beautiful picture of the circle of life, the food chain. And I bet that probably comes pretty easy to that James Earl Jones voiced lion, right? Because he's at the top of the food chain. Probably a pretty easy statement to make when you're at the top of the food chain. But something is wrong that there even is a food chain. Literally or metaphorically, something is wrong. Something is off with everything everywhere. So why? Well, the answer is simple. Sin. Sin is affecting us. Sin is affecting creation. Thanks to our first parents, Adam and Eve, and let's not fool ourselves, it would be us if we were there. When, when our first parents disobeyed God, that introduced separation from God. Romans 5.12 says, When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, 
So death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. And Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. Wages means earnings. I've been thinking about that more lately because it's tax time. And sin earns death. It's not just that death is the consequence. It's that death and destruction are the natural trajectory of sin. We're born with a sin nature, and from birth, our natural trajectory is towards our own self-destruction, our own death. And many of us have little ones that we're raising. I mentioned I've got three guys in my care, and I, I think back sometimes to when they were little. I got to sit next to Lily and little Liam, and I remember when Lily was this big. Uh, so it's super cool. And I got baby fever right now, so I've been thinking about you know, when my, when my big guys were younger. Maybe you remember this too. You've raised little ones or been around them. Maybe you remember when they, when they told their first lie. And it probably wasn't very good or very believable, right? Chocolate cake all around the face. No, I didn't eat the chocolate cake. Or, uh, or how about this one? How about they're on the other side of the room and you say, don't touch that. Don't touch it. And they look at you and they reach their hand out and you say, no, 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 no. And they do it anyway. Looking you right in the face. And I remember back then, it's, it was kind of cute. When I think about it now, it's kind of cute. But you know, it's really not cute. It's really the start of a lifelong struggle with sin. And it gets less cute the older we get. It's, it's not cute. It's not adorable when I'm up late at night and I click on a link that I know I should not. That is not cute. It is not cute when I'm having a work conversation and I say something that is hurtful that does not honor God, that is not adorable. When I, when I look God metaphorically right in the eye, I look at him, and I do it anyway. Just like when my big guys were little. Something is wrong, and I know it. We all know it. And it's not just we who are afflicted. All of earthly creation is afflicted because of man's sin. Listen to what God immediately said after Adam and Eve chose to disobey God. This is... Genesis 3, 16 through 19. Then he said to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy, and in pain you will give birth. And you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. And to the man he said, Since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. All your life you will struggle to scratch a living from it. It will grow thorns and thistles for you, though you will eat of its grains. By the sweat of your brow you will have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made. For you were made from dust, and to dust you will return. So this first reminder that things are broken, this isn't news. This is a shared understanding of at least a few billion people on this planet. It's not news. But it is where a lot of people stop thinking about it. Sometimes they avoid the reality of their brokenness and self-destruction by actually engaging in more activities that bring more Brokenness and self-destruction. We're all guilty of that. But the reminder that things are broken is an important reminder for the church. An important reminder for us because there are some cultural shifts in thinking that are taking place that sometimes we fall into, but we at least need to have our ears kind of tuned and listening for. For example, uh, a, a a recent thing I keep hearing more and more is that broken is beautiful. Broken is beautiful. And I don't know about you, but I've heard that. I've heard that in a lot of places. I, uh, I haven't had too many people in my immediate social circle die, but I've, I've heard that in funerals. 
haven't been to too many funerals, but I've heard it there, that death is a part of life, that we need to embrace our death when time comes. And, and there's Mufasa again talking about the circle of life. I've even heard the term circle of life at a funeral. Maybe you have too. But the truth is, and it's probably good that I've never presided over a funeral because I don't think I could say this very gently, death stinks. Death stinks. Death is not the way things are supposed to be. Death is not beautiful. Sin is not beautiful. Death is the result of the effect of sin in our broken existence. That's what death is. And to think anything otherwise is not scriptural, and I would propose it's not only not scriptural, it's kind of dangerous. And another thing that I hear about broken is beautiful uh, that I've been hearing more and more, and if you Google this, you can find it stated a million ways, but there's this concept that you're not born flawed. You're not made bad. If you have feelings like that, if you, have like, if you feel like there's a sin nature, that's just guilt. You just need to rise above that guilt. There's a few thousand books on that very subject. That there isn't really anything wrong with everything everywhere. And I, I know that we would like to think that. I would like to think that. But that's just not what the Word of God says. It's just not. We are born with the fatal flaw of a sin nature. And the argument breaks down anyway when you consider how much brokenness we have in the world. The brokenness is coming from somewhere. But the, the saddest thing to me, when someone holds that position, because I would like to hold that position, the saddest thing is I think those people actually have a, a very small but authentic view of how God actually loves us. They authentically understand that God loves past those things. That God loves us warts and all. But the difference is that last piece, warts and all. See, the world would say that we people are a result of our tendencies and dispositions and orientations and habits and struggles and flaws and actions and that we're the sum of those things. And that we're beautiful no matter what. Whatever that combination is, it's a beautiful combination. That's what the world would say. But God would say, I love you deeper than those things. I love you more than those things. To lump in your actions and tendencies and flaws is a silly way to measure how much I love you. I love you more than that. I love you greater than that. Those tendencies and flaws and actions and all those things are not your identity. They're not who you are. You're something deeper. And the Lord would say, I love you. That's how I love you. Deeper than those things. They are not your identity. I want you to put your identity in me. Does that make sense? But there's a, a pinnacle difference there between what the world would say and what we would say. And we have to remind ourselves. Another reason we have to remind ourselves that things are broken is because we are constantly barraged with messages to the contrary. Constantly. We are constantly advertising to ourselves and we're suckers for advertising. Even when we don't think we are. What I mean is we're, we're constantly influenced by what we watch, by what we listen to, by what we read. Consciously, subconsciously. I was recently thinking about how when I was a boy, I loved to pretend I was the character immediately after the show we were watching was over. So, uh, if we watched G.I. Joe, I had to be Snake Eyes the moment the thing went off. Or if, I was, if we were watching uh, Ninja Turtles and I was Michelangelo the moment the TV turned off. Or, um, I don't know, pick a, pick a... Didn't this happen to anybody or was I just an exceptionally weird kid? All right, thanks. I was a weird kid. 
But yet we're, we're suckers to advertising. It's, it's, it plays out all the time. When I see a pizza ad, I think about ordering a pizza. When I see a car ad, I think, hey, is my, maybe I could use a new car. Consciously or subconsciously, we are processing these things. At the movie theater, when you're at the movie theater and that commercial comes on with the fizzy pop and the popcorn, lots of things are happening there. The guy who, who's sitting there with his popcorn and, and Coke feels vindicated. Guys like me say, man, if it didn't cost $27, I, I might have gotten the popcorn. I don't know. Then there are other people that will actually pop up real quick and go get something. Concession sales, uh, they go up. They go up because we are affected. We're affected. The reason advertising is a $250 billion industry in the U.S. is because it really, really works. It works on nearly everybody. So as Christians, we have to be careful what we're feeding our minds regarding what's real, regarding what we watch, what we listen to, what we read. I propose to you this. I propose that we are what we eat and our stomachs aren't nearly as strong as we think they are. Not nearly. We need to be sure that we're not advertising the wrong message to our souls. The wrong message to our souls regarding what's real, that things really are broken. Because when we strip away the special effects of the stupid movies that Adam and I are going to watch later this week, when we strip away the special effects, there really are no comic book heroes. There are no superheroes. When we strip away the perfectly manicured Facebook post, the perfectly worded tweet, the perfectly filtered Instagram pic, when we strip that stuff away, relationships are still broken. Life is still a mess. And it doesn't matter how much work we do to try and make it not look like a mess, we know it is. In reality, things are broken. But that's just the first of our three reminders. It's kind of a downer. The next reminder is the good news of Jesus. So reminder number two, Jesus is the fix for what's broken. So let me say, I know specifically what or specifically who can fix what's ailing you. Let's do a little interactive church activity. So around the world, people are doing this this morning, uh, especially if you, if you grew up Catholic, this is something that's very common. The, the reader will read a scripture and then say something like, the word of the Lord. And then the church will respond usually with like, thanks be to God. Anybody grow up Catholic? Anybody do that? Yeah. So it's not, a bad, it's not a bad gig. It's not a bad idea. It's a good idea because we're kind of interacting and we're responding. We're kind of absorbing the scripture and responding. But it's not exactly how we speak nowadays. So I'm going to change it up a little bit. We're going to do it. But we'll change it up. So I'm going to read a statement and then I'm going to read a Bible verse. And then I'm going to say, amen. Like, do you agree? And then you will say, amen. Thank you, Lord. That's pretty close to what our Catholic brothers and sisters are doing this morning. All right, so let's try this. Here we go. Got the slide? All right, here we go. There's nothing Jesus can't restore and resolve and make right again. Jesus is Lord, and he's the fullness of God in a human body. Colossians 2, 9 and 10 says, For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. So you also are complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. Amen? Amen. Thank you, Lord. All right, we're still waking up. We've got a few more. Next, there's no sin Jesus won't forgive. 
Acts 13, 38 and 39 says, Brothers, listen. We are here to proclaim that through this man Jesus, there's forgiveness for your sins. Everyone who believes in Him is made right in God's sight. Some of your Bibles will even say forgiveness for all your sins. Everyone who believes in Him is made right in God's sight. Something the law of Moses could never do. Amen? Amen. Thank you, Lord. We're getting better. Third, there's nothing that can separate us from Jesus' love. Nothing. Romans 8, 38 and 39 says, And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death, nor life, neither angels, nor demons. Neither our fears for today, nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? Amen. Thank you, Lord. Last, and this is a critical one, we couldn't fix ourselves before coming to Jesus if we tried. And He does not ask us to or expect us to try. He wants us just as we are, just where we are. All we have to do is what is said in Acts 16.31 and Romans 10.9, which say, the first half of Acts 16.31 says, they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. And then Romans 10.9 says, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Amen? Amen. Thank you, Lord. All right, we got better there at the end. But that's a good activity. You know, growing up, I might do that at, at churches, and it just seemed kind of drony. You know, and, and sometimes in Catholic church, there'd be a little symbol that you'd do to kind of say, I want to seal it in my heart and my, my mind. And, and, but, you know, we as a church, it's important that we kind of let this stuff soak in and respond. And we'll have a chance to respond to this message uh, at the end of our talk here. But let's just, let's just reflect on the fact that Jesus really is the fix. And the Jesus... That Jesus is the fix to what's broken means exactly that. With His Holy Spirit dwelling within us as we, as we know Him and, and, and grow to know Him, we grow closer to Him, we become more like Him. Over time, He rounds off some of our sharp corners. He refines us. And I'm going to use an example that my lovely wife, she preached at our church last weekend, and she gave this great example. It's been rattling around in my mind all week, so I'm going to shamelessly steal it and reuse it. So thanks, dear. Uh, she mentioned how when our kids were little, they would join a sports team. And uh, so, so Luke actually is still a soccer player, but our other two boys have moved on to other sports. But, but Luke, our middle son, is a soccer player. And so when Luke wanted to play soccer, he was at a, a young age, all it took to join the soccer team was signing up, plus paying a fee, right? Parents got to shell out the coin. But that's all it took. You want to be on the team? Sign up, you're in. You're on the team. You are now a soccer player. No tryouts, you're a soccer player. And your salvation is like that. Do you believe you're a slave to sin in need of a Savior? Do you believe on Jesus and His death and resurrection? As much as you understand, are you, can you sign up for this? Are you signing up? Yes? Great. You're on the team. You are saved. You are redeemed. It's that easy. That's how your salvation works. But as you're on the team for a while, that was booming. I like that. A while. Fossa voice. 
as, we, as we're on the team for a while, we learn what it's like to be a soccer player. We learn what that's like. We, we learn more about the rules. We, we understand soccer. We continue to be refined. So when somebody says, are you a soccer player, Luke? Luke would say, yeah, I, I am a soccer player. Not that he just signed up and can play, but that he knows how to play. He's gotten, he's gotten a lot better at it. And that's what your walk with Jesus is like after you join his team. After you join his team. C.S. Lewis, my favorite theologian, he said it like this in his book, Mere Christianity. Now the whole offer which Christianity makes is this, that we can, if we let God have his way, come to share in the life of Christ. If we do, we shall then be sharing a life which was begotten, not made, which always existed and always will exist. Christ is the Son of God. If we share in this kind of life, we shall also be sons of God. We shall love the Father as he does, and the Holy Ghost will arise in us. He came to this world and became a man in order to spread to other men the kind of life he has by what I call good infection. This is the key point. Every Christian is to become a little Christ. The whole purpose of becoming a Christian is simply nothing else. So that's what happens after we join the team. And if we spent our time just talking about how good Jesus is and reading Scripture after Scripture and saying, Amen, Amen, thank you, Lord, for the rest of the day or the rest of the hour or the, the year, it'd be time well spent. And that alone is enough for us to be reminded. It's a good enough reason for us to remind ourselves that Jesus is the fix to what's broken. But I propose that there's another important reason for us to remind ourselves and that's because somehow, and even with good intentions, a lot of the time, we're adding things to the fix. We're all the time adding to that fix. We forget that we are saved through grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone. We forget that our salvation is not a combination of Jesus and something else. It's just an accident, but we're constantly doing it. For example, it's going to hurt a little bit to hear. Salvation does not come from Jesus plus political affiliation. Jesus plus church affiliation. Jesus plus even correct theology. Salvation doesn't come from that. And now I'm really going to step on some toes. It doesn't come from Jesus plus a moral life. Or even Jesus plus a sexual orientation. Now, let me be clear. I'm not saying that Jesus doesn't care about these things. He very much cares about these things. And the Bible's very clear on where God stands on a whole host of issues. Even issues that we really wish were open for interpretation, they aren't. But that's not the point here. The point is this. The point is, salvation is not a combination of Jesus and anything else. Anything. It's just Jesus. Always, only Jesus. That's it. So reminder one, things are broken. Reminder two, Jesus is the fix to what's broken. Reminder three takes a little bit of setting up. Because now I'm coming from the perspective that we know things are broken. We know Jesus is the fix to what's broken. And now we're chasing after him. We are participating in advancing Jesus' rule and reign in our lives and in our world. So Jesus' rule and reign, we would call the kingdom of God. So we are taking in part, or taking part in advancing the kingdom of God, or the kingdom of heaven. 
So reminder three is that as Christians, we're taking part in advancing the kingdom of God. That is what we're doing. But we have to defer to our king on how that looks. So we defer to our king on how the kingdom advances. So what I'm saying here is this. We need to be reminded that the kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven is not our idea. We didn't make that up. I was here a while back and I was preaching on worship. Worship's a passion of mine. Olivia and I lead a worship team. And, and, and it struck me at some point or another, and I think I shared it from the pulpit here, that we didn't make worship up. Like sometimes we think in a church service, yeah, we should sing some, and then we should have somebody speak. It seems like we kind of engineered it ourselves, but we didn't. Worship is something we didn't make. Worship has been happening for all of eternity back, and as far as we understand, for all of eternity forward. There are these creatures that surround the throne of God, and 24-7, all the time, they're bowing down and worshiping. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty was and is and has come. And there's other things that elders around the throne are saying. But as far as we understand it, this is still happening. And always has. And worship is God's idea. It's His thing. Which is kind of good because when you read about the creatures, we don't have time to go to the book of Revelation to, to read, read up on them, but they kind of sound a little scary to me. But that's fine. It's God's idea. That's His thing. Worship is His deal. He made that up. And the kingdom of heaven is His thing too. The kingdom of God is His thing. How the church works is His thing. How His people work is His thing. How His kingdom is advanced is His thing. So it makes sense that some of it could be counterintuitive to us. And it is kind of counterintuitive. For example, we live in a tension between Jesus' first coming and His second coming. We live in a tension. And here's what I mean by that. So Jesus came to earth 2,000 years ago. He lived a sinless life, and he announced clearly in our Scriptures that the kingdom of heaven has come. That's what he said. And he performed lots of miracles. He healed the sick. The blind could see. The lame could walk. He raised the dead. And even though he never did anything wrong, he was falsely accused, and he was nailed to a cross where he suffocated and died. He died as an atoning sacrifice for everybody's sin, for all of us, for all of humanity. He was raised back again three days later, and then he stayed on earth another 40 days. And after that, he went up into heaven. So that was his first coming. Now he's going to come back again too. No one knows exactly when, but he's going to come back. So there was a first coming, that was quite a long time ago, and there's a second coming on its way, we don't know when. So we live in the tension between those first two comings. Those first two presences of Jesus on the earth. So to put that differently, some theologians would say, the kingdom is already here and not yet. It's both here and not quite yet. It's not fully here. It's another way to put it. It's not complete yet. Because see, when Jesus comes back the second time, there will be no more death or sadness or sickness. None, no exceptions. Not even a tear. So that's, that's his second coming when things are completed. But when he came the first time, the kingdom, did, the kingdom did break through. There were people that were healed instantly. Death was defeated through Jesus. So the kingdom has come, but it's not yet fully come. Does that make sense? It's a tension. It's a tension. It's a mystery. But that mystery explains a lot. If we can say, all right, it's God's thing. This is his thing. It works how he says. It's not my thing. And there's some mystery there that helps us. 
That helps us win. If we were to pray for Adam and Danielle, or not Adam and Danielle, I say Adam and Danielle so much it came out of my practice. But for Adam, transplanter, and Nicole, transplantee, we prayed, we prayed, we prayed. Lord, we just pray this transplant would go well. That, would, that the doctors would be high-fiving at how well things went. And we got our prayer. It happened. And that's awesome. I'm super excited. But we've all prayed for people and seen them not get better. So we've prayed for people. We've seen them instantly healed. We've seen people pray for other people and all of us no new kidneys needed. We've seen people pray and they get better over time. So we've seen instant healing. We've seen get better over time. We've seen not get, good, get better at all. We've seen all those things, right? Because there's a tension. There's a mystery. There's a mystery around it. We, we can't understand it. All we can say is we know that the kingdom is here. We know that when we pray, it, it, things happen, that the Lord is moving and working. But we also know that providentially, sometimes he'll allow things to happen and sometimes not. Sometimes people get healed. Sometimes they won't. It's a bitter pill, but this is his thing. And we live in that tension between those two comings. That's, a, that's kind of an unusual thing about the kingdom. Another thing we need to be reminded about the kingdom is it's kind of upside down. It's another theological term. I'm not talking about Stranger Things. That was called the Upside Down, wasn't it? That show? Anybody watch that? Uh, so it's not that, but it's an upside down kingdom. And what we mean by that is a lot of the things that we think are really important to God aren't. A lot of the things that we think aren't important to God really are. And a lot of things are kind of surprises. You wouldn't expect them. They're counterintuitive to us, which is fine because it's God's thing. For example, to lead, you serve. Matthew 20, 26 says, But among you it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. How about this one? To live, you have to die. You have to die to yourself. Matthew 16, 24 and 25. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you'll save it. Kind of upside down. And there are lots of other examples of the upside down, unexpected nature of the kingdom of God. We don't fight our enemies, we love them. In Matthew 5. God chose the things of the world that the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they're wise. He chose things uh, that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. It's 1 Corinthians 1.27. Jesus was rich, yet for our sake he became poor. 2 Corinthians. So, with all respect to famous teachers and authors who have written books on living your best life and living your purpose and living your calling, or insert an inspirational book title here, that's no more complex than just doing what God wants you to do each day. And by what we see in the Scriptures and the, the upside-down nature of the kingdom, that may not look very successful to anyone but God. Anyone. But remember, He's the only one we're trying to impress anyway. He's the only one we're trying to please anyway. The Scripture is full of God picking the wrong man for the job. The Scripture is full of, well, that doesn't look like it makes sense. The Lord's not interested in making sense as far as we're concerned. He's the Lord. And so we have to defer to our King on how the kingdom advances. We shouldn't even be trying to please ourselves. Just Him. So, the kingdom is already and not yet. It's upside down. It's His and it's not ours. We defer to him on how he advances the kingdom. 
Remember, Jesus said, I only do what the Father is doing, so we just want to follow what he's doing. Another reason we have to be reminded about the kingdom of God, that, that we defer to our king, is that we have to, uh, we have to share Jesus with others with that in mind. I've never seen anyone come to Jesus responding to an argument or a debate. I've never seen anyone, you know, arguments uh, take place, and I've never seen anyone go, well, as a result of that argument, I think I want to follow the Lord. I just haven't. I've never seen it. I'm not saying I haven't seen a whole lot of judgment. I've seen tons of judgment back and forth. But I have seen a lot of people run straight into the kingdom because they've been loved. They were loved. They saw someone who looked like Jesus and who loved like Jesus, and they met the real Jesus. And that's our job, church. We have to defer to our king. So things are broken. Jesus is the fix. Defer to our king. Let me end with a quick story. My nine-year-old Asher, he finishes his school before his brothers. His brothers have a lot more work. They're teenagers. And Asher's school happens pretty quick, so he'll go outside and play a sport, and he'll play a team sport as one man. He'll throw the football and then run to the other side and catch his own catch. And I'll say, Ash, how's it going? He'll say, it's great, Dad. The Packers are beating the Saints. You know, he's got a meticulous score going on. He's playing both teams. And that's kind of how we're doing the Christian walk. We're, we're, we're playing a team sport alone. We are, uh, we're not considering there's another player on the field. But there is. There's another player on the field. In your Christian walk, there is an enemy of your soul. And his mission is to keep you from reminding yourselves of the truth. His mission is to keep you out of reality. His mission is to single you out. Just like that wildlife example. Attack you when you're vulnerable. His mission is to get you to advertise to your soul the wrong things so that you build a garbage in, garbage out way of doing things. So let's just take a second. The worship team going to finish a song and then Andrew's going to close us out. But as I prayed about this week, I felt like there were three groups of people I wanted to invite forward. And there'll be a prayer team up here on either side. And it just means they're trained to pray with you. There's nothing weird about it. It just means they're trained so they know how to, to pray with you. But I'd ask three groups to come up and pray. First, maybe you have at one point in your life said, yes, things are broken. Yes, Jesus is the fix. Maybe you made a commitment, but you since stepped away. And something this morning is tugging you back. That would be the Lord calling you back to him. So I'd ask you to come forward uh, for prayer. Maybe you, maybe you never really have made a step to follow Jesus. I'd like you to come forward. And just someone will pray with you. The next group of people I would ask uh, to come up would be people who, uh, who maybe something in their ears burned a little bit when they heard about these truths. Maybe it didn't feel so good to hear. Maybe you've since forgotten some of the truth of those statements. Or maybe you feel like the Lord's kind of showing you some areas where you've kind of advertised the wrong things to your soul. And he wants to break through some of those. So I'd ask you to come forward. And then last, we do believe in a God that heals emotionally and physically and spiritually and sometimes even instantly. And so if you have a prayer of any need, physical, emotional, or otherwise, I'd ask you to come forward and get prayer. And we'll just sing this last worship song together. And then Andrew will close us. Amen.